The Be Rad Podcast is brought to you by MoFo, male optimization formula with organs to boost testosterone. Brad's Macadamia Masterpiece, mind-blowing nut butter blend, now offered on Amazon. Chili Technology, temperature-controlled mattress systems for a good night's sleep. InsideTracker.com, offering blood, DNA, and fitness tracking data all in one place. And Organifi, whole food organic superfood supplements and drink blends. And please visit the shopping page at bradkearns.com for my personal selection of favorite products for health, fitness, and peak performance with great discounts for listeners. Here we go with the show. I'm not asking you to do a workout. Just go move. It can be five minutes. It can be an hour. I love going outside and getting out there for a walk because it adds so many of the other benefits that we could talk about of natural light, uh, fresh air, and then that's all great. But whatever you can do, just go up and move. You need to invest into the culture. And aside from physical movement culture, we're finding more and more how important for various companies culture truly is and how much employees want to feel like they belong and they're heard and they're a part of this company. Like, invest into that, and that's going to improve all these other things. So instead of trying to tell you you need to exercise more and move more, can we find ways that you can do the same tasks that you're doing for work, but with sitting less? Let's talk about nootropics. These are supplements designed to improve cognitive function, memory, and creativity. And I'm taking three products from a company called New Optimal, N-U Optimal. The products are Metafocus, which promotes flow state and improves processing speed and mental clarity. It contains ingredients like phenylalanine, B12, ginkgo biloba. I'm taking Metamemory, which is good for memory retention, verbal fluency, reduced oxidative stress. Very important for the brain. This product has things like lion's mane, pine bark, and bacopa. And I'm taking Metadrive for motivation, stress resilience. It's got a little boost of caffeine in there, ashwagandha, rhodiola. They're wonderful products with a lot of scientific detail and easy to understand information on their website. So you get the big picture of what these products are all about, not just stuffing pills down your face, but how to do the stack as they call it strategically. You get a 16 page booklet that'll guide you to optimal use when you purchase. And guess what? 60 day money back guarantee and 30% discount from me. Listen, I'm not a coffee guy. I'm not a drug guy, but I'm always looking for any type of natural edge I can get, especially for cognition. So guess what? Let's avoid that sugary junk food. Let's get enough sleep. Take a power nap when you need one and consider trying some nootropics to see if you get a natural brain boost. So go visit newoptimal.com, N-U-O-P-T-I-M-A-L and enter the code BRAD30 to get 30% discount when you try it. Newoptimal.com for way more details. Hey listeners, let's talk about the importance of general everyday movement, especially taking frequent breaks from prolonged sedentary periods during your workday. I have a very interesting guest named Dr. Stefan Zavalin from Nashville, Tennessee. He has a company called Learn to Move, and he is a physical therapist who got frustrated with patients returning to the clinic to get treated for the same stuff, so he plunged all into this incredible challenge of changing corporate culture, changing our individual personal behavior habits, and encouraging us to move more frequently. We are going to get some wonderful, actionable tips throughout the podcast. This is a very practical show that you're going to listen, learn about why sitting is so damaging to the various leg muscles and what you can do about it right away. Here's a sneak preview of ways that you can create an optimal workday. First one is to wake up in the morning and get moving. And this is an important counter to lying down for seven or eight hours. Uh, that's why I'm so fond of my morning routine and advocate doing it first thing in the morning. So a lot of support for that idea here. And then during the workday, he asks you very gently not to overwhelm you, but to make a commitment to take a short break, even as little as 30 seconds, 
every 20 minutes or so. And if you can't deal with that, he's given you a little bit of an out to try it every 30 minutes or every hour if you're really not accustomed to taking breaks. But ideally, we will get up and move our bodies every 20 minutes for 30 seconds to two minutes. And this entails doing movements that go forward, backward, side to side, and also twisting movements. Those are great counters to sitting at your desk or even doing stand-up desk work. We still have to get up and move the body around. This will get the blood flowing. It will improve cognitive function. And also, as you've heard before on this show, it'll help improve your glucose tolerance and your insulin sensitivity. So you continue to burn fat rather than get into that zombie mode where you start craving sugar if you've been sitting around too long, messing up all those dietary and exercise goals. So here we go with Dr. Stefan Zavalin from Learn to Move. Thanks for listening. You're going to love it. I welcome Dr. Stefan Zavalin from beautiful Nashville, Tennessee, to talk about an extremely important lifestyle objective of uh, moving around more and uh, avoiding this uh, this this lifestyle of uh, sedentary momentum and all kinds of sedentary forces. So uh, thanks for joining us. And I, I look forward to getting into this. Oh, I'm, I'm so excited. I always love the amount of energy that you bring to this. And so I'm hoping that this is what we're able to give every listener so that they can get up and, and move a little bit more. So you call yourself a movement enthusiast and work culture consultant. And boy, you've had some fun things to deal with because the work culture has transitioned in the last uh, recent times to people doing home-based work, which I guess can be a good thing or uh, not necessarily. So maybe you can uh, thread that in uh, as you talk about, uh, introduce your your work and how you got into this position and then how we can uh, make the best of our, our workplace wherever it is. Sure. Um, so just to give a little bit of a background, um, I got my doctorate in physical therapy and practiced in the clinic for a little while. But what inevitably comes around is that People would come in, they would have their aches and pains, whatever it may be. We would fix some of the, say, neck pain that they might have. I may have talked to them a little about their desk setup and everything like that. And then a year later, they come back in and I go, well, did you do the exercise? And I was, well, I stopped after a month. I'm like, well, if you tried them again, I give you a printout. And they're like, yeah, it helps. And I'm like, well, what, what do you want from me? It's obvious that you need to continue doing this. Uh, but really, we were fixing symptoms at that point. The problem was that their desk setup was incorrect and their work was causing all this kind of an issue. And I was seeing this over and over and over. And eventually um, I happened to get COVID actually in uh, Christmas, this past Christmas. And that kind of took me off a little bit. Everybody has their own different symptoms. Mine was a little bit more kind of heart pain and I couldn't really tolerate cardiovascular things for a good while there, I, maybe 15 minutes standing up, walking around. And then I had to, I had to sit down or lie down. And so I had to build up my tolerance. I couldn't come back to the clinic and I spent a month out and I was thinking, we need to address this from a different standpoint. This needs to, we talk so much about preventative medicine and so much of exactly what you talk about on this podcast is let's, let's not get to the point where we need all the medication and the surgeries, but let's actually intervene in these natural ways um, that we can. And so I said, we need it. We need to start changing this culture and this environment. There are many people that do uh, the ergonomic side of things. And that is partially what I do. That is important. And especially with people going remote, few companies have actually invested to say, hey, here's a budget. Make sure you have the right things set up at home. They spend millions on setting up their amazing office, the corporate office. But for home environment, you get nothing. And now all of a sudden, people are trapped in their home. They're sitting at their kitchen table with a laptop, which is horrible uh, posture for you to stay in for a long, long period of time. And so all of a sudden, well, what do you do? So yes, ergonomics is going to be part of it. And that's set up getting standing desks and all these other things. That's, that's part of it. And there are people that address that. But I think the bigger concern here is this cultural shift of um, we don't have movement in these kind of uh, work areas where the person that goes for a walk or a run in the middle of lunch is the oddball and everybody else is going, well, why are they even doing that? Um, in boardroom meetings, everybody's sitting down, only one person standing. It's just, just, we even have it in our language of, hey, grab a seat. We'll get started when everybody sits down. It's, it's mm -hmm. the culture is that we sit and we sit. Don't just stand around, get to work. Well, what's, what's so bad necessarily about standing around? We could do work and stand around. And so effectively, what I try to do is help companies find their ways to fix 
that culture side and that environment side, because a lot of these things of where we say, hey, you should move more, we should get 10,000 steps a day, whatever it may be, that's great. But if the support of the surroundings isn't there, they're not going to stick quite as easily. And if everybody else around you is eating potato chips and sitting down all the time, it's a lot harder for you to actually get up and move and take all those habits to heart and actually implement them. Nice. Yeah. The 10,000 steps a day is bantered about all the time. Um, it seems like an overly ambitious goal for most people. That's a ridiculous amount of steps. It comes out to be about five miles, which I doubt I get that in a particular day. But I think you're highlighting an important uh, element of this movement objective. And it's not just about going out and banging out your 10,000 steps in succession with a morning run and then sitting around on the subway in the office and on the couch watching Netflix all night, especially because you, you banged out your 10,000 steps that morning. But I think more about uh, a day of variation and frequent movement uh, without those long periods where you're just sitting. Absolutely. And this is, this is where also I, I bring in so a lot of times we think more exercise, I did my exercise, that's fine. Uh, this is where the, the research gets a little bit uh, gloom and unfortunate. Um, so six hours of sitting. So the average, you can look at all different averages. The worldwide average is about 12 hours of sitting. Um, US office workers specifically, it's up to 15 hours of sitting. Um, Every in day? A day? Yeah, which seems, it seems ridiculous. For 15 of 24 hours? And, and maybe then, not you. <laughs> yeah, but I mean that that doesn't leave much time when you're when you're sleeping for seven or eight. Uh, so basically, we're sitting or we're asleep outside of. Hey, maybe we're sitting on a bike for a spin class, which uh, I don't know if that counts on the sitting or the exercise part. But that's a that's a horrible stat, man. That that's crazy to imagine. Absolutely. And so the the big number also to remember there is that, so this was an Australian study, 11 plus hours was increasing risk of premature death by 40%. And it was about 60% for women specifically. Uh, sample size was a little smaller for women, but it was, it was still thousands and thousands of people. So uh, relatively good there. The catch was that they balanced it out for exercise and moderate intensity exercise didn't change that risk. So it wasn't the fact that people were exercising or not exercising. It's they were sitting for too long. So great, you go out, you do an hour, you, even more, you're thinking more is better. I'm going to do two hours of cardio. Okay. If you're still sitting for 12 hours, that's still bad. And so it's that we need to break up those little bits. And this is where I also get on a little bit of another soapbox of where movement break and exercise are not the same thing. Your body doesn't really know what the difference is between you picking up a piece of paper and performing a bodyweight squat. You, you moved. That's, that's okay. So it's not that you shouldn't exercise. We know the wonderful benefits of exercise, but movement doesn't only have to be exercise. Everything else that you do, I love using chores as movement. That's my usual way to get up because then I get something done. Every little movement your body takes into account and it's breaking up the sitting, which inevitably the question comes of, well, how frequently should we break it up? What does the research say about that? And about 20 minutes is the absolute ideal, getting up about every 20 minutes, which is very difficult, I grant you. Um, at 20 minutes, a little bit past, there was a study done where the gene expression for the muscles to break down kind of starts kicking in. So it's not full on muscle breakdown, but we're starting to get that sedentary part in there. And then blood flow is reduced at about 30 minutes. Um, so once again, these are small changes, but if you're sitting for two hours straight without getting up, and doing that day after day, month after month, year after year, that's compounding more and more and more for you. So 20 minutes is, is the ideal, but if you don't usually get up at all, start with an every hour or every 45 mm. minutes, every little bit uh, counts. In those studies, they found that two minutes is about that breaking point, but even if it's 30 seconds, mm. it's gonna be better than zero. It's always gonna be better than zero. Love it. We also cite research that after around 20 minutes, you experience a decrease in glucose tolerance and a noticeable, measurable decrease in glucose tolerance, increase in insulin resistance, meaning that you stop burning fat efficiently and you start, if you continue to sit, uh, you're going to spike your appetite for some carbohydrate energy because you're not burning fuel efficiently because of your, uh, your sedentary position. 
Right. Um, I can't remember who the guest was that you had on. It was rather recently was saying about the huge percentage of the population that is overweight. Um, and so you have this other part of where sitting on, on, our, on our glutes and being overweight and sitting on your glutes increases the amount of breakdown of those specific muscles because of the bones digging into them. And there's a huge thing in, as in the clinic that we saw is people have weak glutes. Um, they, they're just, they're not strong because if you're sitting on them all day, yeah, they're just, they're not going to be on, they're not going to be activated. People are like, what do you mean my glutes? I don't even know how to turn that on. I don't understand this. Um, and it's fair. You haven't been using them, but it, it's a continuous thing that we need to get up and move. Yeah. It became famous. I think in, was it, uh, 2015 when Tiger Woods had to drop out of a golf tournament in San Diego and they said, what's wrong? And he says, my glutes aren't activating today. And the media made fun of it forever. The guys on the golf channel were joking about how, uh, you know, such a nuanced, uh, you know, description of why the guy can't even play a golf round. Uh, but then now it's become an extremely hot topic because when your glutes aren't activating for general everyday activity, and the glutes are so important. I'm sure you can tell better than better describe better than I. But if you're if you're not using them, oh my gosh, then you're overloading all kinds of other joints and muscles. So maybe you could tell us what's the problem with uh, weakening these glutes by by sitting too long, and then how does it play out when we're trying to do activity? Sure, um, I'll I'll go a little bit further into that. And one thing that I like talking about in this whole thing is kind of it's called the uh, the pelvic quadrant. Um, and so the glutes play a part into this, but there's three other muscle groups and how they all interact as a result of sitting. And then when we get up and, and as we do things. And so um, in the quadrant, you have your hip flexors, which are the ones that bring your knee up to your chest, which when we're sitting, our knee is halfway up to our chest. So we tend to have that overly tight as we're sitting mm. more and more and more. And then we don't, we don't stretch them, especially if we don't run. A lot of times when people run and they hyperextend their back, in order to get their leg all the way back, you're kind of going, uh, you might not be, that's probably tight, um, tight hip flexors. You're trying to get it through other means. So you got some tight hip flexors, tight erector spinae, the muscles on the very low part of the back. This is when people go out, oh, it's aching after a long time. Okay. That's, that's your low back. Those muscles, those two are tight hip flexors and erector spinae are tight on the opposite side of this kind of quadrant, if you would, is you have your abdominals and then you have your glutes. They're kind of on diagonals opposite of each other. Those two muscles are usually weak and loose. Um, and so as we're sitting, we're not really using our abs the way that we need in our core to hold ourselves up. We're usually leaning on things. We're all over the place and our core doesn't have to work. We're usually in kind of this kind of crunched position as it is. So our abs don't actually have to turn on. And we already talked about sitting on our glutes and them not being active. So as soon as you stand up and you have this imbalance of you have the hip flexors and the low back muscles being tight, and the other two being weak, it tilts your pelvis kind of forward, which a lot of people find that they have an issue with. And it's not that you have some anatomical problem. It's just, you can't use your muscles to properly correct that. So when you try and engaging your glutes in order to kind of tuck your tailbone under is exactly what they need to do and tilt it in the opposite direction. Eh, it it kind of, you can't do it. You're like, what is this? I can't turn these on. And when you're running and trying to do it, your glutes are, they're trying to pull your leg back and extend your hip your, your hamstrings start to come in and try to play into that. And so all of a sudden you're trying to overuse your hamstrings, your pelvis is tilted. So where the hamstrings are trying to uh, attach, they're being tightened and you're feeling, I have tight hip flexors. I have tight hamstrings. My low back is killing me. I need to be doing my abs workout all the time. And all of it comes down to, well, what about your glutes? Like, can we, can we focus in on what your glutes can do? Um, an easy way to start is just glute bridges or even just squeezing. Can you squeeze your butt muscles as you're standing there brushing your teeth? Um, and uh, one that can be a little bit tough for people is, can you isolate and squeeze one and not the other? Um, and that can be kind of interesting because when you're running or doing anything like that, you have to engage one and not the other because they're moving in opposite directions. And how well can you do that? Most of the time, you're able to do one better than the other. Um, but that's, that's the general kind of addressing that whole entire complex. Yeah, I love that. I was just reading, oh my gosh, I, I can't remember which book, but uh, they were talking about your ability to develop a muscle uh, starts with, can you contract it uh, intentionally by itself? And if you can't, oh my gosh, then we're in a whole mess of trouble. So I'm going to work on that individual uh, glute 
uh, uh, flexing back and forth, kind of like the uh, comedians that can raise one eyebrow and wiggle it and stuff. And uh, it's just kind of, uh, you know, getting the uh, the nervous system back up and running so that we can have a fighting chance of, uh, of firing these muscles. Uh, so you gave a couple uh, suggestions to counter the damage caused by sitting. Uh, and I'm sure we can get further into those, but also perhaps um, what would you, uh, how would you ideally structure a day, let's say for a home-based worker who doesn't have unlimited budget to get a, a space age, uh, a stand-up desk environment, although we know those can cost as little as I go to uh, the home supply store and get a stool and all of a sudden I'm in business wherever I am and I even travel with it so I can uh, put my laptop up at the appropriate height. But uh, there's so many other things we can do if we had your um, you know, your, your ultimate dream workday, maybe you can hit some checkpoints. Sure. Um, so one thing is as best as you can wake up and go move. You've been lying mm -hmm. down for, like you said, six, seven, eight hours, just go move. I'm not asking you to do a workout, just go move. It can be five minutes. It can be an hour. I love going outside and getting out there for a walk because it adds so many of the other benefits that we could talk about of natural light, uh, fresh air, and that's all great. But whatever you can do, just go up and move. Because one of the worst things you can do, especially with remote work, is get up, walk over to your computer and plop down for the next 10 hours and, and barely be moving except to go to the bathroom. So that would be the, the number one um, kind of a thing. In general, you want to find a way that you can remind yourself to do these movement breaks that we talked about every 20 minutes. If 20 minutes doesn't work for you, start 30, 40, every hour, whatever it might be. Um, so you can, if you like using a calendar, you can literally put them in the calendar so it can remind you if that's one of the, the ways I like to use just my phone. I set an alarm, it goes off, I move. Um, there are some great free apps on the phone and even on the desktop called, uh, there's one called Big Stretch where you can really modify the sound and all these other things, it will interrupt you. It will not let you do anything on your <laughs> desktop where you have to take that minute or however long you set up on it to go move. So if that's what you need, there are many tools out there that can, that can help you. For me, and I usually am up and down in general because it's always on my mind and it's what I'm thinking about, but I just use the, the phone if I need to do that. If you have any kind of these calls, stand up for them. So I don't have a standing desk, but in order for this call, I have based everything off my knowledge, all of my textbooks, and they're just holding up the, the, the monitor. Great, because a lot of times we're so much on Zoom, we're probably not really typing as much as, as we are for the rest of the work. So you don't need this whole setup, so you can stand up. Same thing for if you're on the phone. Go and pace for a little bit. Go and, and move mm. um, as best as you can. If possible, during lunch, Sitting down and eating, yes. Don't try to multitask and walk around and eat. It's fine, sit down and eat. But then see if you can take a little bit of a longer break. It's easy to take you know, one to two minute breaks in the middle of the day, but then 10, 15, 30 minute break. See if you can do something like that. Go and move a little bit more. If you're at home, complete a chore um, while you're at home or, uh, or something out in the yard. All kind of wonderful ways to go about that. And then you're going to kind of continue that afterwards uh, through the rest of the day. When it comes down to it, find some activities after work that you can do that also allow you to move a little bit more. So exercise is wonderful. It's great, but you're not going to be able to exercise the entire time. I'm not saying don't watch TV. You can watch TV, but is there something else that you could mm. possibly do um, that's out there? Um, but that's kind of the aside. What I want to kind of focus, focus back in on is that actual the movement breaks that you're taking. It's once again, easy for me to say, go move, take a break uh, and, and just, just do that. We tend to think movement is exercise and the, the movement exercise thing, well, it's not quiet. Remember, it's, it's gonna be more, of, uh, more intricate than that. So when it comes to movement and how we express movement, I try to really dumb it down. Um, I think about going forwards, backwards, side to side and twisting. Mm -hmm. And if you go to pretty much any joint, um, they have those three motions. Some don't have that at all. Like the knee, it has some rotation, but you shouldn't be able to control it in isolation. So don't try. That's okay. 
Um, but the idea is that we do a lot of forwards and backwards. So we can do a lot of squatting, reaching forward to pick something up, sitting down, reaching forward. It's all forwards backwards for us. Side to side, we have a little bit more sometimes, but we don't express it quite as much. Um, and that's where a lot of that, the, uh, our glutes come in. So when we say glutes also, uh, the reason it's plural to a large degree is because there are three glutes on each side. And so yes, extension is part of it, but bringing your leg out to the side is also another. So the side to side motion is also what glutes are responsible for at our hip. So making sure we move side to side. So that could be bending over to the side and reaching overhead as opposed to just reaching forwards and backwards. And then it could be side lunges or anything else that you might, might, might think of as far as exercise is concerned. And then twisting. Twisting, we do the least. And even to the point where sometimes uh, we use it for an injury term. We say we twisted our ankle or mm. uh, I love when patients would come in and they go, yeah, I reached down to pick something up and then I twisted and my back went out. <laughs> um, so we don't do twisting at all. And so don't throw yourself into twisting under load immediately. If you haven't done it, twist gently, but expose yourself to it. So when you're taking these movement breaks, make sure you incorporate something side to side, something where you're twisting and getting that full range of motion. Um, ideally, especially for the, for the back. Um, because our low back gets really tight because of that quadrant that we kind of talked about. So making sure that you're getting plenty of movement uh, there. So that would be sort of the ideal long day of making sure we take all those breaks throughout the time involving a huge variety of different kinds of movement. It is a bit difficult at first, I'll be honest. And that's why I say lower your frequency at first. Maybe you do three of those breaks in the morning, three of those breaks in the afternoon, and they are every hour, hour and a half. That's fine. Then increase the frequency because this is a, a lifelong habit and for longevity, this isn't something that, Oh, you know, I was on this kick for a week and I felt a little bit better. And then I stopped mm. Then it's pointless. Yeah. I really appreciate your, your kind, soft, gentle approach. You're not shoving it down people's throats. They don't have to dedicate an hour and a half of their eight hour workday to uh, crazy exercises. And I think that's important to emphasize because a lot of times we jump out of the gate with these big ambitions and they're too big. And I've talked about this a lot with my morning routine and how it's progressed over the last four and a half years. I'm on a streak. I haven't missed a single day. But when I started, when I first designed it, it was pretty darn easy. I did a lot of the exercises in bed. I, I thought they were great. And then I realized, um, you know, anything you're doing to, to activate the core is so much easier when your weight is sinking into a mattress. And when the first day happened that I, I hit the deck, um, it was way harder. And I'm like, okay, I guess I got to get a bed to do these things. But over time, I added another exercise, another exercise. And now it's extremely robust. It's challenging. Uh, and it, it takes a long time. But I didn't get to this point uh, by jumping into what I do today out of the gate, because I would have been too inconvenient, might have been too strenuous, I wouldn't feel like it. And so when you ask that minimal ask people, I don't know how you can turn down Dr. Stefan when he's saying, get up and move for just as little as 30 seconds uh, every 20 minutes. And if you think you're too busy, I love the brain research suggesting that we really can only concentrate on a peak cognitive task for around 20 minutes until we automatically and naturally tone down our concentration intensity. So a break will be taken for us anyway. And if it's not going to be rushing up a flight of stairs and back down or whatever you're doing, uh, it's gonna be drifting over to a, a YouTube video instead of uh, composing your proposal. So uh, there's all the justification to do it, especially if you wanna be a productive person who gets shit done. Absolutely. Uh, and a couple things to add even further to that is uh, there was some good research where they compared sitting um, desks versus standing desks and standing to, uh, employees were 46% more productive for that hour that they tested. So sure, maybe you're going to get tired and fatigued. There's no way you're going to be standing for all eight hours. The current guidelines, they say, start trying to get to two and then four out of the eight working hours of standing. Uh, so kind of half and half. Now, if you're overweight, there's no way, it's gonna be a lot harder for you. Standing actually reduces your accuracy with small hand movements, if we're thinking about uh, mouse and keyboard kind of a things. So same, same kind of approach. If you're feeling tired and fatigued, you're doing way too much, because it, it should invigorate you. If you're standing mm. for eight hours, you're gonna be tired after that. So that's not where you need to start. Start with 10 minutes of standing and then slowly progress yourself there as well. Um, and this is kind of where I wanted to, to, to bring this in because 
that's the sort of ideal day of how you can start implementing these now. But what we talked about before in regards to culture is we have a culture of more, 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 more. Um, go run more. You need to be more productive at work. You need to be doing more of this um, at home, more, more, more. And I feel that that's what people are given all the time. They're told mm. more exercise and nobody's surprised. Most people say, yeah, I should probably exercise more. Mm. Um, they, they kind of know that. And I don't think it's any benefit for me to say move more. So what I've switched is thinking of it slightly differently is saying, can we try to sit less? Because that's truly what we're talking about is we're trying to reduce the amount of prolonged sitting. So instead of trying to tell you, you need to exercise more and move more, can we find ways that you can do the same tasks that you're doing for work, but with sitting less? So you don't have to change and add more things to your day, but we are reducing the amount of sedentary activity that you have. And if you want to start there because you're thinking, man, an entire exercise regimen is too overwhelming for me. Maybe I can start with just a couple of exercises like Brad is starting in the mornings and that, that's it. But I, what else can I do throughout the day? Just think of that. Just think of sitting less and finding ways that, like we said, maybe your phone calls are, are standing up and walking. Maybe your Zoom call is, I'm going to stand for the first five minutes of this call and then I can sit down. Hey folks, how about a non-drinker telling you what kind of alcohol you should drink? That's right, it's pseudo-sommelier Brad Kearns here to recommend dry farm wines. Why? Because if you choose to drink, I want you to be healthy and make a superior choice to the mainstream commercial wines. Listen to my podcast with Dry Farm Wines founder Todd White. The insights were astonishing, especially that most all commercial wines are loaded with dozens of chemicals that the FDA allows in your wine, but don't have to be listed on the label. And the sugar, oh my goodness, the sugar levels can be as much or more per liter than Coca-Cola, but difficult to taste due to the acidity in the wine. Dry Farm Wines is a membership club where you're shipped hand-picked wines from old-world family-run vineyards in France, Italy, Greece, and Sicily. These wines come from non-irrigated vineyards hundreds of years old that deliver a tastier, higher antioxidant grape, and they're independent lab certified to be completely free from chemical additives and naturally 100% sugar-free. That's right, the sugar was allowed to ferment out instead of be arrested by chemical intervention in the name of pleasing the average consumer palate that has a sweet tooth. The Dry Farm Wines Club has taken off like crazy because ancestral and keto enthusiasts, people who care about their health, appreciate a sugar-free wine. You'll enjoy the variety, the taste, and the pleasant sensation in the aftermath of burning through the alcohol buzz and going on with your life without a hangover. So if you care about your carb intake and your overall health, Dry Farm Wines has a special promotion for podcast listeners. Get your first bottle for a penny when you enroll at dryfarmwines.com slash Brad or click on the Dry Farm Wines at the bradkerns.com shopping page. Cheers. Right. Set an example with all your Zoom buddies where one of them's moving and uh, maybe doing some leg exercises and darting around a little bit. I love it. And you do mention how uh, the surrounding environment, the culture in the workplace, or even the, the culture of your company that you work for, if you're working remotely, uh, affects your uh, compliance, your motivation and all that. Maybe you could talk a little bit more about how we need that support and I know you're working with uh, corporate decision makers and how important that is for the company to buy in and support this. Sure. And it's, it's one of those that you, you have to have both sides on board. It's not a top down or a bottom up exclusively approach. You, you, need, you need both because uh, employees feel that if I give them this, this advice, they go, well, that's great, but they're not going to let me get up that frequently. I would love to get up every 20 minutes, but nobody's going to let me do that. And that may or may not be true, um, <laughs> but that's their belief. Their belief is that their employer will not let them do that. That's fine. Um, but that means that we have to get the employer on board to understanding the productivity goes up. Um, the uh, sick absences generally go down um, and the bottom line increases because as much as we all say that employers care about health, they, they care about the business and the money. But there mm. is plenty of evidence that says, hey, this improves the money side of all of this for you. And it's actually beneficial for you to get your employees standing and moving. So you need to have them both in agreement because if an employer 
Um, and this is where I like to talk about the difference between encouraging and facilitating. A lot of employers encourage movement. What they will say encouraging looks like this. We know that standing um, frequently is good for your health. We encourage that you stay, take frequent standing breaks. That doesn't give you a whole lot. You go, okay, thank you. I, all right. Um, facilitating is saying more along the lines of, we know that standing is very good for your health. We have put three five-minute breaks into your morning and afternoon that we really want to make sure that you take. All right, they're given a specific prescription of time that the employer expects them to generally take. And some may argue, but that's giving them extra breaks. They need that. That's actually going to increase productivity. And most employees are not going to take advantage of those breaks. They're actually mm -hmm. going to perform even better. And so as we're able to move that in, things like, hey, let's start off a meeting with a new stretch that somebody brings in. It's not as weird for somebody to say that. It's, it's more accepted for people to be standing while they're working or to even do a walking lunch meeting where you're gonna be far more engaged if you're doing a one-on-one -on -one walking meeting than sitting down um, and trying to talk. Unless it's something very, very private and personal, maybe then, then you can keep it in a boardroom. But it's, it's finding these ways of starting the conversation with the employer of how it's gonna improve it and that's effectively where I also come in and I try to facilitate that because not everything works for the same people. Um, some setups are not going to work. Some people may go, we're going to buy all employees uh, treadmill desks. Well, this is the part where the employers bought in. The employees go, we're never going to use those. I'm, I'm, I'm refused to get on a treadmill desk. Okay, then that, that was completely pointless. You have to analyze it from both the top down and the bottom up. Um, and, and aside on treadmill desks, we didn't touch on those is they are great, but they have a learning curve. So initially your productivity does actually go down, but eventually it comes up. <laughs> I remember when uh, we installed those at Primal Blueprint headquarters, uh, Mark Sisson got on the bandwagon and was so excited and everybody, you know, we installed these beautiful new treadmill desks and, uh, one of the ladies in the front office uh, took the opportunity to walk nine miles on a single workday and was hitting these numbers, you know, in the first few weeks of using the treadmill. But she started gaining weight because she was eating so much food because she was walking nine miles <laughs> during an eight hour workday. So then, you know, a month later, you see that the treadmill was off for a lot of the time. Then it was on a little bit when, let's say, like your example of taking a call, you know, their front desk, they can't go out into the street, but they didn't have that thing constantly moving to the point of excess. It was kind of a, a more gentle integration. But I know you're fighting a difficult battle, Stefan. I've been in the corporate wellness scene. This was a long time ago, but the a lot of times the company pays lip service to uh, the support of their employees' health and well-being, and they are just deathly focused on that bottom line to the extent that um, it really does come lay on the responsibility of the individual, no matter how how supportive or, or non-supportive the the employer is, uh, we can kind of, you know, lean on this idea that we're going to be more productive and work more quickly if we can intersperse these movement breaks, regardless of what anybody says or how little or, or great support that you get. Right. And I, this is where I also kind of urge this idea of culture change, because a lot of times, the employers will go, all right, how much is this going to cost me in the sense of what do I need to buy standing desk? Does everybody need a gym membership? And I go, it doesn't matter. You can get everybody all, all these things. If they don't use them, it's not going to improve it whatsoever. You need to invest into the culture. And aside from physical movement culture, we're finding more and more how important for various companies culture truly is and how much employees want to feel like they belong and they're heard and they're a part of this company. Like invest into that and that's going to improve all these other things. That does not cost you all this equipment that, I mean, it costs you maybe a little bit more time of actually making sure that people are bought in and understand it, um, but it's not going to actually end up costing you maybe that much more money. You will end up saving on it. And, but you're absolutely right. It's a, it's a constant battle because then inevitably people go, oh, the woo-woo stuff about culture and people need to come and just work. They just need to sit and work like, well, they're, they're human beings. They're not robots. It's a little bit more complicated than that. Right. And people still want their personal freedom. I remember working at one company and um, Johnny G, the, the the creator of spinning, he's a fitness personality. So I was working at, at spinning and he would call remotely from his home, which was, you know, a couple hours away from corporate headquarters. 
And he'd call the front desk and say, I want everybody to drop what they're doing and walk around the block as his support of a healthy culture. And boy, people were so bent out of shape that, you know, that the loudspeaker would come on in the, in the office saying, okay, Johnny just called, everybody has to walk. But guess what? Once we got a block down the road, after that initial grumbling and, oh, we, we broke up an important meeting, I had to hang up on somebody. Uh, after a block or two was accumulated, everybody was, you know, uh, lively and positive energy and returning to work with, you know, a fresh perspective. And you could see the difference of just, I know it was forced and probably uh, wasn't the, um, you know, the most kind and gentle way to get people going. Uh, but sometimes I, I feel like, if we could do that with ourselves and realize that the time that we need a movement break the most is the time when we're dragging ass and, and losing our focus and concentration. And that's the least likely time to do it. So if it means setting an alarm or whatever, uh, but I'm always, you know, since I'm working for myself and not answering to somebody, I want to be productive or I want to be taking a nap. I don't want to be in that in-between zone. Uh, the researcher from England that Chris Kelly likes to reference uh, and Tommy Wood too, they call it the cognitive middle gear. And this is where you're, you're at work, you're doing your thing, whatever it is, you're answering your emails, but you're actually not really uh, at your, in top form. And you're just, mm -hmm. you know, you're just pushing the time through and you could actually, you know, arguably, you know, get things done in, in, in a fraction of the time if you were really in, in kick-ass mode, but you've drifted into that cognitive middle gear. They talk about uh, the distraction and the hyper-connectivity pushing you into cognitive middle gear, but I also would argue that uh, lack of movement and, and all those scientific, uh, the, the um, physiological things you talk about is going to get us into that mode where we're just vegetating until uh, the bell rings and we can go home, I guess. Right. And um, I, I, I don't know what the statistics are now, but I think there was some, some crazy one floating around a few years back of where it was something like people are only really doing about three and a half hours of work during the eight hour uh, workday, where it's the rest of the time they're either they're kind of scatterbrained talking to somebody else doing something there. Don't specifically quote me on that statistic, but it was something so low that you're going, what are people doing at work? And then why are we working eight hours if you're kind of done with that, which that's where working for yourself, you, you kind of know this, it's, it's much more interesting if you can be results driven and to where, Hey, I got my work done. And, and, and then, then it's kind of, it's, it's over. But, um, as far as that, the kind of the, the middle gear, I love my, my, I don't know where she got it, but my wife says a wonderful phrase. She says, if you need to take a break, if you feel like you need to take that break, you probably should have taken a break a while back. <laughs> um, you're, you've, you've probably been already kind of pushing through it and you just need to go get up and take a break. It may not need to be long, but it, you need to take a, take a little bit of a break for sure. Um, yeah. And then the, uh, there is a use of the 80-20 rule for, for your thing of where you're being more effective is where uh, they say that a lot of times you can do 80% of the work in 20% of the time mm. and where the rest of it is just spent kind of doing all this other stuff. Now, it's not always true, but it's kind of to this general chunk of your work. We have that flow state where all of a sudden we just get so much done and we go, why does it usually, why am I trudging through this? And that's kind of what it was talking about is a lot of times if you really focus up correctly um, onto the right things, you can get a lot more done in way less time. So you talked about doing some glute bridges and uh, alternating, uh, tensing the, the right glute and the left glute. And do you have any other good stuff if I'm free for one minute uh, when, when my bell rings to go and counterbalance uh, some of the problems of sitting or even standing, just staying, uh, staying still, period? Sure. Um, so if you're sitting... Um, almost anything that you're going to be doing and standing is already going to be a great benefit. So a lot of times people go, yeah, I moved and they kind of wiggled in their chair. No, stand up. Uh, that's if you are sitting a long period of time, that's going to be your biggest thing. So if you are standing for a long period of time, most likely you're having some of the, the, the low back muscles. Those erectors are kind of on a lot of it. So you actually, you might need to bend a little bit forward to help stretch them out a little bit. But this is where I would say, make sure you're doing some of the twisting and some of the side bending um, to make sure that you're, you're adding that in because you have been stationary, um, but you may not need to do as much of the extension, which is the bending all the way back of the spine because you've been upright um, this, kind of, this entire time, as opposed to somebody who's been sitting for the whole time and they've had the rounded 
and everything is folded over and they're just kind of scrunched all together. That's the person that I say, you need to stand up and really try to be as, mm. think about everything your mother ever told you about trying to be as upright and having good posture, uh, which is a bit of a misnomer. Um, my quick aside, good, bad posture. It's really more about how much time you spend in the posture. No posture is good or bad, ah. but spending 15 hours in a rounded posture is bad. It's not that rounded posture is bad. It, it's a posture. You can get into it. Your body's meant for that. It's okay. Just don't spend 15 hours there. Yeah, that's an um, incredibly important point. I, I first heard that from Katie Bowman, and it was uh, a real uh, light bulb going off because we've been conditioned to this uh ergonomic the ergonomically optimal position is when your uh, your your forearms are at 90 degrees and you drop your wrist 90 degrees right onto the keyboard with your back at 90 degrees your hips and your knees and uh, Katie's like you know what that that isn't you, you could do worse and you might be able to avoid repetitive strain if your wrists are dropping at the right angle but anything for too long a period of time is inherently unhealthy and so your your example of hunching over and sending a text for 30 seconds, no big deal. The body's shoulders can bend forward. You can uh, dip your wrist together, fire off that text, and then continue on your way to climbing 17 flights of stairs to your, your high-rise uh, job. It's, it's a wonderful concept. To, it was kind of... Um, uh, I, I appreciate it a lot because I, you know, I fidget around and, and work in different positions throughout the day. And one of them is kicking back on the couch in the most comfortably uh, pillow supported position with my laptop on my lap. And that ranks right up there highly with my ultimate stand up desk experience, because either one, I'm not spending too long in. You used a really fun word, um, which I love touching on, and that is you fidget. Um, so fidgeting is a really interesting topic because um, throughout our culture, most of the time in school and then in, in the workplace, people are until stop fidgeting, sit still, listen up, stop. You're obviously not paying attention. And fidgeting is it's, it's your body trying to be like, I need movement. Can I please move? I, I, mm. I'm trying. I'm trying to move. And it's it's been shown that um, almost to the degree of that frequent movement, fidgeting reduces your risk of death to that kind of same degree, if you're allowed to actually fidget. But most of us, we stop, we don't do it quite as much. Um, attention things aside, there were some studies done with fidget spinners that showed that attention decreased with that, but that was a spinner, not just normal fidgeting where we're not using anything. Uh, but the other side that's interesting is you could burn up to uh, 800 extra calories from fidgeting throughout the day. Uh, which is just 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 normally moving without any extra sort of exercise or anything like that. So I think there is definitely we repress a lot of uh, fidgeting because it's just culturally seen as mm. something we shouldn't do. But there's absolutely nothing wrong. It could actually be very good for you um, to fidget. On the line of uh, a good exercise. So my go to my absolute favorite one is I, we talked about the tight hip flexors and I deal with those all the time. So the way that I try to completely counteract it is I do a, a hip flexor stretch in a lunge uh, where I kind of, I, you put your whichever, let's say left leg all the way back and your right leg forward in that kind of a lunge position. You have to be upright. If you lean forward, you're already, you're not lengthening the hip flexor. That's not going to help. But this is where I also add a lat stretch. You raise your arms overhead. So you're in this lunge with arms overhead and then you bend slightly towards the leg that's in front of you. And then turn slightly towards the leg that's behind you. So in that direction. So if my right leg is forward, left leg is back, I would bend to the right and turn slightly to the left. So right away, you'll feel a lat stretch, a hip flexor stretch. And if you are so amazing and strong that you can tense your glute right at that same time, you will feel a heck of a stretch in your hip flexors. Mm. And that just really counteracts a lot of that and adds in all those motions that we tend to not do of the side bending and the twisting. And we, we tend to be even. So a lot of people will squat, 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 and then they try to do a lunge and they're like, why, why am I not so strong in a lunge? Mm. And I'm like, well, you, you got to work on the, the imbalanced uh, side of things as well. So it, it hits a lot of different things in that sense. What's a good duration to hold the the stretches? Sure. So it will be easier to do uh, three times for 30 seconds on each side is going to be the most ideal that you could possibly do. Um, that can be a little bit tough. So I would say, see if you can even start with 10 seconds, 
and then kind of progress and reset each time. So make sure that you put the leg back and kind of bend, bend back and squeeze the glute. This is the catch that if you're trying to squeeze the glute, most people, it's going to be hard for you to maintain that contraction for 30 seconds. This is incredibly difficult to do, mm. but making it a little bit shorter um, and breaking it up, but three sets for 30 is kind of the general guideline. And then you can go up and down from there. Love it, man. We're getting there. We're, we're progressing to the ideal work day. Uh, I love how you mentioned waking up first thing and moving because we're coming off the long period of time lying down. Uh, so is there, I mean, it seems obvious. Is there more there that we should really understand about um, how, how, how good that is for our body to actually get up and go rather than wake up and, and go sit in a desk instead of laying in bed? Sure. Um, so th there's obviously a, a lot of the, the great benefits of, uh, of, of movement. So even we talked about the productivity aspect of it, but even moving for 10 minutes kind of resets your focus. So uh, they had people that would just work, just sit down and work, or people that would move for 10 minutes and then work. People experienced all the ones that moved had improved focus. Um, during that time. Now that's 10 minutes. You're not going to be able to take that break necessarily all the time, but if you can at least start your day that way, so you get up and you go and you, and you move a little bit. And if you're the type of person that loves coffee and wants to put on coffee, put on the coffee and go, right? Mm. You'll be there when you get back, the water will boil. It'll be fine. Uh, go for the walk, get outside, uh, get some more of that, of that movement and that blood flow. Cause that's going to be that the, the other part is you've been in that same position. Your muscles haven't been getting a lot of that input, um, from that movement. And then, of course, as we age, the important part of bone health. Um, and uh, you've recently been talking about jumping and how important how that can be. But that's the impact uh, is, is crucial uh, for um, bone mineral density. Mm. And, mm. and so if we can get a little bit of that. Now, it doesn't have to be some kind of crazy plyometrics backflips or anything like that, um, if, especially for, for a much older population. Um, even just simple jumping jacks and things like that can drastically improve uh, the amount that uh, we're helping our bones, uh, with that, but it, you're just going to be helping all of the nutrients get in more and the, with the blood flow, especially to all the muscles, as well as the bones, as well as the nervous system of just waking everything up and moving as opposed to just coming over and sitting down. And those all support the brain, which then allows you to actually work more efficiently because otherwise you're just kind of making it through the day. Mm. Yeah. I love that emphasis on impact uh, Dr. Michael Rosine, author of You, the Owner's Manual with, with Dr. Oz, talks about research from the Cleveland Clinic where, where he's the director. If you just jump up and down 20 times in the morning and 20 times at night, you improve your bone density throughout the spine and the lower extremities. And it's such a simple thing, but it's like, hey, you know, let's, let's play Stefan's podcast 365 days from now and ask yourself how many times you jumped up and down in the morning and at night. And if you've actually done it, to the tune of dedicating a minute per day, uh, you're on your way to, you know, relieving, well, it's the number one risk factor for, for um, uh, injury and demise in Americans over age 65, which is falling. And a lot of that's due to loss of uh, muscle strength and bone density. And then you, you know, you break a hip from a simple fall rather than just get back up and, and carry on. So these are high stakes people. And I wanna do an especial, uh, special note to parents listening because most of us who are, let's say, over 35, 40 years old, uh, we had a nice phase of our childhood life where there was no uh, hyperconnectivity, mobile technology, and incredible reliance on digital screens throughout our day. And so we had this natural activity, uh, whether it was first thing in the morning or after school or running around. And now the culture has shifted so much that we have to make a concerted effort to give our kids that opportunity that we had naturally without even thinking about it. But today we're talking about kids waking up, trudging around the house, jumping into a car to get carpooled to school. And then the schools that don't even have sufficient time in the state of California, there's a widespread disregard of the state mandated, the state law for outside physical activity is being compromised because the academic pressures are so high. And it's, you know, it's absolutely tragic that, uh, the younger generation is is ushered into a life of inactivity like never before in the history of humanity. 
And I have actually uh, fallen prey to some of this. Um, it, it was all, it's, it's very interesting. I, I love telling this story. So in, in, fifth, um, in fifth grade, I decided that I hated gym. Um, and, and this is with, I, I swam, I, I love being active, but I hated gym because gym was boring. Um, partially because our teacher would just pull out a box of balls and say, yeah, do whatever you want with that. Um, and so I said, I'm going to join orchestra because if you were an orchestra, you didn't have to go to gym. And so I joined the orchestra and, and then I kind of, I played a little bit of soccer, but I really drifted out of it because it wasn't really emphasized by any other part. Nobody made you do any kind of physical activity. I think PE was just a semester in high school, half of a year without, I had to do it. And the rest of it, it didn't really matter. Um, and so inevitably what happened is as I gained more weight and everything, I got more kind of flack from my parents saying, Hey, okay, you need to do something about this. And that's what really got me started on all of this, but it was by no means was, was it the, the, the health and wellness program in my public school that taught me how to eat properly, how to exercise properly. There was a, a point where I was eating a green apple and a cucumber for lunch. Uh, that was, and I said, no breakfast. I would run for an hour and a half and then inevitably I would be crashing, burning and just binging mm. during dinner because that was, I, I didn't know any better. Um, and I thought that I was doing something correct um, at that point and not really monitoring any of that. So I'm, I definitely agree with the fact that we definitely need to spread this as more of the awareness because the culture is there. I mean, we talked about the culture in the boardrooms of, you know, grab, grab a seat. Same thing in the classrooms. <laughs> Everybody, students sit down and it's, it, there, there is some fairness to that when you're trying to, to educate and, and, and be fair about it. Adults are a little more receptive. They can, they can stand it and do it, but kids, they can be a little bit more rowdy. I understand, but I think we need to be bringing a lot of that back because more and more kids are sitting around during recess and really they're not getting outside. They're not uh, doing any of that kind of stuff during lunch. So definitely important. Good one. Yeah, I think some of that rowdiness, misbehavior, short attention span is possibly due to a lack of physical activity, a lack of strenuous physical activity where they've burned off all that energy, then they're ready to enter their seat and concentrate on math for an hour. But if it's just nonstop uh, kind of drifting around and being forced to sit and not fidget and then exercising for a minimal amount, it's just going to kind of spiral downward. And I, I, that's the other part is uh, we talked about the focus for 20 minutes, 20, maybe 30 minutes. And well, then why is, why is the class an hour? Because it would it be better if we did a class for 20 minutes, go take a break for 10, come back, do the other 20 minutes, then here you go, the, the class is over and they get their, their kind of activity in. And as, as we now reform the entire education system of the United States. Um, but, <laughs> <laughs> but, but just this general idea of that's not going to be accepted because most people are going to say, oh, they're going to be too distracted. You're, you're taking them completely off the topic. They're, they're not necessarily going to focus. And I think the high school leaders are perfectly capable of, of, of that. That's an argument that maybe you could make for some of, of, of the younger children. Uh, but I am not a teacher. Uh, to, to be fair, I just remember how I was and I always wanted to move, especially when I was younger. Until inevitably of, of many years of sitting, I said, okay, I'll just sit. Uh, who cares about this gym stuff? Uh, but inevitably it came back. It all came back and I became a physical therapist. So it's, it's there. It's important for sure. Incredible. Uh, and you, we, we talked offline about you had a pretty serious health challenge as you were going and getting your doctorate. I wonder if you'd like to share that. Sure. Um, so this was uh, very, very interesting. I, so I started physical therapy school and all bright eyed and bushy tailed. So excited to actually be there. And at one point I, I realized, Ooh, my eyes kind of hurting. I had some light sensitivity and to give a little backstory, one of my eyes, the optic nerve never developed from birth. So it doesn't see very well. Um, this was the other eye that was okay. Um, it's, it's my one good eye that I can actually use. So I kind of let it go as we normally do with all doctors things. We go, ah, it'll, it'll get better. Uh, didn't get better. So I finally went in and they said, ah, oh, you probably have a bacterial infection. Here's some drops. Okay. All right. Mm. Fair enough. Did that. Uh, didn't get better. Went back and they said, sorry, we misdiagnosed you. It actually looks more like a virus. Um, common virus. Here are some drops. It'll be fine. Took the drops. Nothing. 
um, going, okay, guys, what, like, what is this? It still hurts at this point. It's hard for me because I'm in grad school and we're, it's a job when you're in grad school, it's nine to five lectures, you're sitting, it's, it's a full-time job. And, um, I can't look at the screens. It's that's, that's too bright for me to even look at. I'm sitting in the classroom in sunglasses. Thank you to all the professors. They were okay with it. They were understanding. And effectively they said, well, you just need a little bit more time here. Let's give you some more steroid drops. And so they put in a bunch more steroids, decreased inflammation. And I got better. I was like, okay, I'm doing great. I'm not feeling this pain. I'm able to function. And I even came back uh, right around uh, Christmas time for Christmas break, came back home, saw a doctor here. They're like, yes, definitely. It's this virus. You just, you'll be fine. Just keep on using the steroids. It's going to go away um, rather soon. I later found out that this virus is cured within two weeks. And at this point, this was probably month three. So um, I should have known that something was going on, but I was, I was trusting them with, with everything that they were kind of saying with all this. And then in January, when I came back, it came back with a vengeance and the steroids were not doing a thing to it whatsoever. And I was very lucky. My dad found um, a special clinic in Philadelphia, which is where I was. And I went in and they said, yeah, we see this all the time. This is actually a parasite that presents like a common virus. Um, and it's a rare parasite. It's found in tap water. And the way that I got it was basically, I didn't go to any crazy country, which is always the first question that people ask. It's present in tap water, but the enzymes in our tears generally kill it. Now I got tap water under my contact lens and I had a little scratch on my eye. So the tap water got into the little scratch, but the lens was covering it. So the tears couldn't get to it. Our eyes heal incredibly fast. So it healed over by the time I took the contact lens over after the hours and hours that I had it in. So then the tears could no longer get to it add in all the misdiagnosis and all of the steroids that allowed it to just keep going and going and going. That's where I kind of ended up. And so after that short version of that story is about five surgeries later, um, they put in a bunch of different pieces of tissue, cataracts, all this fun stuff. I learned a lot about eyes. It was fantastic. Um, and, uh, and there were, there were a lot of times where it was just, doing drops every hour. And when I say every hour, I mean, waking up in the middle of the night, um, max sleeping of 45 minutes. Um, and then just repeatedly having to do that, uh, over and over for about a month and a half, which that was, that was a whole thing. Uh, but luckily my school kind of said, okay, take a year off. We'll, mm. we'll get you right back in with, with the following class. And I was able to finally get back, finish off all of that. And, uh, it took me only an extra year to graduate after that. But unfortunately, the vision kept declining further and further and further to the point where, interestingly enough, ironically, I should say, the optic nerve also got damaged due to increased pressure. And so it doesn't really matter. Nothing can really help that eye, which is now the bad eye. And ironically, now the good, uh, the bad eye before that was really bad from birth is now my good eye. Um, and so technically legally blind, that is the semi-short version of that entire story. Wow, that's a pretty good resolve to, to carry on and graduate. And um, boy, what a, what a, um, that's a, that's a harrowing story. I guess there's a moral here that we, uh, we always have to advocate for our own health and I guess ask further questions and, um, you know, don't just blindly trust sorry for the pun, but boy, that, that's really rough. And I appreciate you sharing that too, because maybe it'll, maybe it'll, um, you know, help us with our perspective when, when we're facing a health challenge. Absolutely. And I'll tell you, it was, it was interesting because I was just such a fanatic about movement where I say I'm a movement enthusiast, uh, where after some of the surgeries, uh, they would say, okay, you're, you're not allowed to exercise. Um, I go, okay. All right. Can I stand up from a chair? And they go, well, yeah, yeah, you can stand up from a chair. I'm like, gotcha. I'm going to stand up from a chair a hundred times. Um, now I, and I didn't do it very intensely, but I actually did. I was just, because I, I was so light sensitive. I was just stuck in the room all the time. Mm. Well, with the curtains drawn. And so I just stand up, sit down, stand up, sit down from the chair. Uh, when the pain got really bad though, I still went to movement because it was right around winter time. I would go out in Philadelphia and just pace the block around. And it was that movement that helped actually get through a lot of that, that pain. 
And I think that a lot of people find that, that sometimes if you've had a really hard day or anything like that, if you really kind of push yourself physically in a workout, it could be five or 10 minutes, but the endorphins and just getting your head away from it, because you have to focus on, I just have to breathe and not die while I'm doing all this intense training. Um, it can actually help um, to a large degree to get through those hard times. Good stuff. Dr. Stefan Zavalin, a great show. How do we uh, find you, catch up with you, learn more? Sure. Um, you can find me on Instagram. And so the company that I started is called Love to Move. So it's underscore, love to move underscore um, is the name. If you want to see more, I have a couple of uh, little lectures on low back pain and things like that on my website, which is ltmmtl.com. Um, and then you can find me on LinkedIn or Facebook. And I love random physical therapy questions if you ever want to go away. <laughs> Great resource. All right. Thank you so much, Stefan. Thanks for listening, everybody. Get up and move now. Take a break. Da, 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 da. Thank you for listening to the show. I love sharing the experience with you and greatly appreciate your support. Please email podcast at bradventures.com with feedback, suggestions, and questions for the Q&A shows. Subscribe to our email list at bradkearns.com for a weekly blast about the published episodes and a wonderful bi-monthly newsletter edition with informative articles and practical tips for all aspects of healthy living. You can also download several awesome free ebooks when you subscribe to the email list. And if you could go to the trouble to leave a five or five-star review with Apple Podcasts or wherever else you listen to the shows, that would be super incredibly awesome. It helps raise the profile of the BRAD podcast and attract new listeners. And did you know that you can share a show with a friend or loved one by just hitting a few buttons in your player and firing off a text message? My awesome podcast player called Overcast allows you to actually record a soundbite excerpt from the episode you're listening to and fire it off with a quick text message. Thank you so much for spreading the word. And remember, be rad.